0: Welcome or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Roots-based Chicago Cubs podcast. Pull up a chair while I take a deeper dive into the concerns for the team's present and future. Questions are always welcomed, whether on Twitter, Tim815, on the Anchor Contest Line, or on my Facebook, Pre-Arb Excellence Group. Thanks for stopping by for today's episode, 2020 Deadline Expectations and asked me questions if I was confusing. For those of you who have been listening for a while, if you're really, really, really observant, you may have noticed that I've changed somewhat my opening script. Between last time and this time, and possibly last time and the time before last time, I've decided that I'm starting to figure out more what I want to do with the podcast. There's another podcast on a completely different topic where the, the host of the podcast prides himself on deeper dives. How his podcasts are more studies into the topic. And that's more where I want to be. I don't necessarily want to... I want to be cheerful. I want to be pleasant. I want to be happy. That said if the Cubs are making some questionable, questionable decisions, I want to free myself up to be able to say that as well still. But I want to usually be rather happy and cheerful and pleasant about what's going on, but take a bit more of a deeper dive into what's going on with the team and what could be happening with the team. I will look at 2020, but... 2021 through 2025 through 2032 are still going to be viable concerns, and 2021 through 2023 are more important than 2021, because three years is more important than one year. So I'm going to still talk about the future, and it's kind of difficult with no minor league games going on, but we're going to give it a go, and I'm going to still try to make sure that all your visits to pre of Excellence are worth your effort. Today, did, did you ever watch Happy Days? Either on Nick at Night or back when this series was originally going. Uh, I was a bit of a Happy Days fan. Uh, kind of got a kick out of Fonzie more than uh, Richie Cunningham. But uh there's one particular episode before Fonzie jumped the shark. Uh, Pinky Tuscadero was kind of a he was Fonzie's girl without being his girlfriend, and probably she was at some point, but there's a there's a bit of a thing going on there and she was a, a rough and a different sort of uh, lass, I will use the word lass there. And, uh, there was a night where there was a demolition derby and Fonzie and Pinky Tuscadero were both in the demolition derby. And the goal was whoever was, I can't remember if it was whoever was the last pair to still be alive, uh, around, or I think it was who was the last person to be around would end up being the winner. So Fonzie and Pinky Tuscadero were a team. And there was this point where these two bad baddies in the episode, the Malachi brothers, they it, Pinky Tuscadero's car was having a little bit of an issue, and the Malachi brothers were going to squish her car from both the front and back end at the same time and give her the Malachi crunch. I don't really remember the episode very well, but I certainly remember the term "malachi crunch." So you you get you you have something going on, and all of a sudden you get hit with something from two different directions. It's a malachi crunch, at least it is for me. I may be entirely misremembering the episode, and you're welcome to shoot me comments on the contest line or on Twitter, on Facebook about Tim. You completely botched it. You missed the entire feel free. I'm remembering it how it works for me for this episode. I was perusing along, check, getting caught up on what happened overnight, and people are talking about how, oh, it would be horrible if the Reds have to trade Trevor Bauer. Well, let's see. They're in fourth place in the division. They're not going to the playoffs unless they go on a real hot streak between now and Monday. And Trevor Trevor Bauer is a free agent, so they might as well trade Trevor Bauer if they can get a return of prospects that are of more value than they would expect they would get for the pick they would receive for acquiring or for losing Trevor Bauer in free agency. Seems rather easy, you know. Let's say, uh, Trevor Bauer the draft pick that they would be getting, their computer, all these teams have computers, every single darn one of them, their computer says they could get, oh, 7.14 wins above replacement out of the draft pick they would get for Trevor Bauer. 7.14. They do their computer stuff, and they check, and they look, and they open up Trevor Bauer for trade, and between now and Monday... They know the number is 7.14 on the value that they can probably get for the draft pick. If somebody calls in with a 6.82, they hang up. If somebody calls in with a 6.14 value, they hang up. If somebody calls in with a 9.23, they say, we'll think about that. And then at some point, they'll probably take it. But uh, if the Reds get better value for Trevor Bauer in trade, than they would get in the draft, they should take it. They're not going anywhere. you are not going anywhere. Not at all. Um, unless they get completely hot. They have really good pitching. They should have really good hitting, but their really good hitters aren't hitting at all. Does that sound familiar to any of you? And uh, if your team's not going to go to the playoffs, there's no point in doing it. In, in, um, well, maybe if, we, if you're not going to go, you're not going to go. So, uh, yeah, the Reds should trade Trevor Bauer if they can get a long-term return that's of more value than what they would presumably get in the draft. And they ought to know that kind of stuff. They really ought to know. The only thing that's concerning now is nobody really knows what the draft order is going to be because Rob Manfred is going to basically tell us what the draft order is going to be next year. We have no idea. Oh, well, it might be a this, it might be a that. Actually, the, uh, how the draft ought to be. I'm writing how the draft ought to be. I'm writing that down. That will be a future podcast, and I will get to that at some point, because I think How the Draft Ought to Be would be a very good podcast for anything that's claiming to be a deeper dive into the future of the Chicago Cubs. Okay, so the Malachi Crunch thing, I was checking on the headlines, and one of the headlines was, should the Reds trade Trevor Bauer? And at the same time, from two different directions, I got twin emails or twin tweets that are basically exactly the same from a different direction, phrased differently, and that will create different answers. I love questions. One of them, uh, I largely agree with the mindset. One of them, I largely disagree with the mindset, but they're both entirely valid opinions. Both are completely Legitimate questions, legitimate opinions, and I told both people, "You are on a podcast as of now." And uh, one of them kind of got a kick out of it. One of them's probably thinking, "Oh, he's going to make fun of me," but no, I'm not going to. I can't emphasize enough. I haven't, I haven't changed this part of the script yet. I can't emphasize enough how much I appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. The numbers are continuing to push me into doing more podcasts and more podcasts and hopefully one of them, this one, last one, whichever, is something that you think of another person and think, you know, that friend of mine that's a Cubs fan ought to really hear this podcast. This is kind of up their alley. They might enjoy it. Then perhaps if you forward it on to someone else, they might enjoy it and they might start listening as well. Po- Anchor also offers, sp- rental tongue today, sponsorship programs. There, that's what I meant to say. And if you wish to help sponsor a th- this podcast, that would also be assisted. Nonetheless, don't get tied up in passing things on to other people or sponsoring. I just like that you're listening. I like that you're listening and I like that you're thinking. So here are the two Ideas, I'm going to go with the ideas first. Then after I go with the ideas, I'll get more into responding because I think I'd probably better go with both of them first. And then, well, I don't have an entire, entire, entire answer, but they kind of go together like uh, the uh, Malachi brothers. First question comes from... Ah... Uh, AJB, AJB asked, with the Cubs struggling at the plate and no, I really can't write very quick, very effectively when I'm writing quickly. With the Cubs struggling to, is struggling at the plate, no return in sight for Bryant. I definitely take a run. At a big boy by Monday. Someone like JD Martinez or Whit Merrifield, no harm at all. AJB with that tweet. And I appreciate it. He wasn't directing it toward me, but I have a tendency to scout hashtag cubs for people who have who are actually thinking. You know, uh, actually thinking. And At first this sounded like it was kind of a not paying a whole lot of attention to the big picture and my response was unless the piece uh his last sentence had been no harm at all my response was unless the piece surrendered turns out to be useful who specifically are you willing to give up i left it at that and i didn't expect a response I didn't respect the response because a lot of people when pushed run away just absolutely run away when when pushed on something and it's not the way I want things to go but I want to hear why someone's thinking what they're thinking I want to hear their response and I'll give them back my response and then Hopefully both of us can learn something, or at least I can learn something. Maybe they won't learn anything. But uh, if I become more intelligent from a discussion back and forth on the Cubs, I'm good with it. So, uh, no harm at all, unless the piece surrendered turns out useful. Who specifically are you willing to give up? He responded, we can't remain status quo, though. I said, well, I really don't want to give up. Brennan Davis, or Braylon Marquez. Not Davis or Marquez, more Cole Roderer, Ryan Jensen, or Miguel Amaya, who we don't need. I'm immediately impressed that he can give me two names other than Braylon Marquez, Brennan Davis, or Miguel Amaya. He's aware of Cole Roderer. He's aware of Ryan Jensen. If it ends up being a situation where he sees my response, listens to the podcast, he's welcome here. He's absolutely, completely welcome here. You don't have to agree with me on everything down the line to be welcome here. He's thinking. He's thinking. He knows things. He cares about the future. He grasps the importance of long-term value. He doesn't want to give up Brennan Davis. He doesn't want to give up Braylon Marquez, but... If the Cubs can give a lesser piece, then maybe. I will take mild, mild umbrage with the we don't need Miguel Amaya concept. It's not that he is guaranteed or necessary or anything along those lines. Um, Again, I hope this person, listen, I hope AJB. Um, listens to the podcast and gets back to me because I would really like to do the back and forth thing. But uh, this is one of the better trade um, aggression tweets that I've seen because he actually knows five guys in the pipeline. <laughs> There's a lot of people who the Cubs should make a trade. Well, who should they give up? Uh, I don't know. This guy actually knows at least five prospects. And if you're going to know... Uh, Cole Roter and Ryan Jensen, AJB probably knows a whole lot more than that. He'd probably be very fun to talk shop with as far as what trades make sense. However, the um, small caveat I have is with his, we don't need Amaya. The second tweet, I'm going to get back to this. I'm going to get back to this, but apparently I didn't write this one down. I thought I was writing it down. I'm doing a bad job of homework. I thought I wrote the other one down first. Someone was asking me, Grant John on Twitter. I'm pretty sure it was Grant John, almost certain. Asked me, the deadline's Monday. What do you think the Cubs are going to do by the deadline on Monday? whether you agree with it or not. Again, wonderful question. Wonderful question. I love this question because you're realizing there is a broad spectrum of possible things that could happen. The Cubs will probably do one or two things before the deadline. And I might not like it. It's He's not asking, what is it that Tim would declare... Uh the old oh boy, I like to use the term pistol whip. Uh people like to pistol whip general managers into oh that team should give us this guy and this guy, and they should take back that guy and that guy. Wow, what did that just prove? That nothing. Uh what moves will the Cubs probably make by the deadline, whether you agree with them or not. So that's Grant John's. And I'll start with his. Um I do think the Cubs will probably make a trade or two. My lean would probably be two. And they'll probably be relatively minor. And when I say a trade, if it ends up being a situation of the Cubs pay a cash fee to acquire an outfielder that's better than Ian Miller... Or better than Steven Souza. That qualifies as a trade. So I think the Cubs will be looking at the waiver wire. I think the Cubs will be looking at teams that suddenly fall out of it. And if they're like Cincinnati. And if there's a team who has an expiring contract. And their ownership is so broken financially that they would be willing to take... The waiver fee, I think, is $50,000. Let's say there's an owner that says, you know what, I have this guy. I want to trade him for cash. Now, Major League Baseball doesn't allow you to say we're selling a person because that sounds like it's um, uh, slavery or uh, ownership or something along those lines. However however you wish to they like to say traded for cash much more than sold as property. Which is it? Traded for cash or sold for property? I think it's sold for property. But I think it's very possible that Tom Ricketts may be persuaded by Theo Epstein into somebody's on the Somebody gets designated for assignment before Monday or becomes available before Monday. And Theo Epstein says, here's the trade I want to make. This guy is available. Let's buy him. I don't know how the... Um, teams being over the spending limit is going to be solved this year. I don't know. You probably don't know. I've heard a number of people saying, well, this is how it's going to be. But I haven't heard anything official from anybody, from any uh, checkmark source saying this is clearly how the owners and players are going to agree to the compromise. But there's going to be some team this weekend that decides, you know what, we're done. We're done. We're not getting anything and I'm not willing to spend my own personal retirement plan money on stuff for the rest of the year, I'd much rather have someone send me a whole gob of cash, and then I will trade for cash a player. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see the Cubs pay, I'll say, $500,000, We'll never know the number because that that's not how it gets done. It would be trade for cash. The Cubs will trade for cash. And my hunch would be they will trade for cash for two different players. One will upgrade the bullpen. One will be a hitting improvements. So I'm guessing two players will be added. The Cubs will probably wait until about the deadline possibly Sunday, possibly even Monday, and add two players, one hitter and one batter, for cash, possibly, 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 they might trade a Dylan Maples. I don't think they would trade someone from the future, Corey Abbott or... um. Christopher Morel, or certainly not Brennan Davis, but uh, as far as what I think they'll do, I think they'll add one relief pitcher and one hitter, probably a probably an outfielder who can play right field or maybe a second baseman or something. They'll they'll possibly a guy who's a bit versatile can play a couple different positions, and they'll just buy him. They'll buy him. You know, here here's a half a million dollars. Send us the guy. That's That's completely how I see it going down, and it will be a whole lot more palatable for everyone since we'll never know the number. So I think the Cubs will add two players, one reliever, one hitter, and one of them will be a pure flat-out buy. The other one will either be a pure flat-out buy or possibly someone on the 40-man roster who would be getting designated for assignment anyway, or me they it's so difficult to make a trade with only the players in the 60 man player pool realistically able to be included it's so difficult that way so a buy or possibly Dylan Maples for and there there might be some team who would be more than happy to hey we're far enough out of it we'll bring Dylan Maples up now and give him a uh, give him four weeks of pitching and we don't really care what he does now, hopefully he does well, but if he ends up walking the world, well, we'll keep let him, letting him walk the world. And all it's going to do is cost us a loss here or there, and that might help us in the draft. So I think it'll probably be along those lines. The Cubs will add two players, a hitter and a pitcher, and it'll be for cash or a very, 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 very expendable piece if you include Dylan Maples' expendable, which I think about now the Cubs might have to. Now, back to AJB's very good email. and our discussion, why do I not feel Miguel Amaya is... I'll I'll phrase it this way, is easily expendable. His line was, "We we don't need. I'm saying easily expendable. I'm guessing AJB is probably thinking that the Cubs have a piece in Wilson Contreras. He's going to be good for a few more years. He probably might get extended if the Cubs prioritize extending him. And the Cubs also have Ethan Hearn, Ranier Quintero, and Brian Altuve coming along. So if you have three catchers that you've prioritized, and they're developing through the system, then that makes it less essential to retain Miguel Amaya, who is not a certainty at all. He isn't a certainty. That said, I don't know that AJB buys into the importance, the almost near certainty that a team has to have Someone productive pretty much all the time at league minimum value. I strongly believe that. I had a list that I came up with when I started to... when I, when I came up with the idea for Pre-Arb Excellence. In 2015, the Royals had Giordano Ventura rest in peace. He was a three-plus-win player on their World Championship team that had a three-wins-above replacement or better season. The next year, the Cubs had four on their World Series title. The next year, the Red Sox had Andrew Benintendi and who was the other... They had a second. I think they had a second. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they had a second. Uh, ben Intendi was one. Not sure if it was Devers or. They had a second one. And then after that, the Astros had Alex Bregman. And again, they had another one. Teams that are successful have three plus wins above players. Generally, players plural. Sometimes you'll get by with just one. But to be a legitimate World Series champion contender, a team almost has to have one or two three-plus wins above players making less than a million dollars. It's almost essential now. The Dodgers are a huge threat. Why? Because they have players who are really good that are making league minimum. Why are the Yankees good? Oh, it's because they have Garrett Cole. No, 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 no. It's because they have really good players who are making almost nothing. Since they have really good players who are making almost nothing, then they can go out and get the elite player that fits in where they absolutely need a fill-in. Having a player that's really good, that's making less than a million dollars a year, is almost essential for winning, and winning big in baseball these days. Who's that guy for the Cubs in 2020? Well, they have Ian Happ. (laughs) He's good. I don't know that if 2020 had been a regular season, he'd be a three wins above guy. Nico Horner will eventually be good, but he's nowhere near three wins above yet. And actually, i am um, he's probably learning a whole lot this year. It's not a case of, oh my goodness, he's struggling, so he's never going to... No, that's players struggle. You don't get better every single week. You learn, other teams respond, and they kick your butt. Then you get better, then they kick your butt again. And eventually, after three or four years, you find out who the really good players are. But uh, with the Cubs, there is no player right now. It's like making less than a million dollars. that's a three wins above player. The Cubs aren't going to do it this year. When they get to the playoffs, and they'll probably get to the playoffs, it's going to be because Milwaukee has struggled. Cincinnati has struggled. St. Louis has had their issues. Pittsburgh is bad. And at least two teams from the division make the playoffs. The Cubs really don't have to push that hard. They really don't have to. They can make the playoffs as Cincinnati eliminates themselves and Pittsburgh eliminates themselves. The Cubs play 50-50 ball from here to the stretch. And St. Louis and Milwaukee play enough games against each other so that one of them knocks the other one out. And if the Cubs play uh, a bit over 50% baseball, They win the division. It's not because the Cubs are a great team. It's because they're better than the teams they have to beat. When you get to the playoffs, you have to have a better, a deeper, a more solid roster. The Cubs' primary designated hitter is Victor Caratini. That's not going to get it done of, let's see, round of 16, round of 8, round of four, round of two, that's not going to get you through four rounds of Major League postseason. I don't care how good your pitching is. The Cubs aren't good enough this year to make an aggressive push to surrender the future. Miguel Amaya, in a couple years, is going to be good enough to be a Major League starting catcher. I really think that. I don't know if he's going to be three wins above replacement good. However, he seems to dig the leadership thing, the getting along with the pitchers thing. Uh, Pitchers gravitate toward him at the minor league level, even though the pitchers are older than the catcher is. And the Cubs are going to need players, more than one, to be, Three wins above types for them to even be able to come close to competing with the Braves, the Dodgers, the Padres, the Diamondbacks are improving, etc., etc., etc. The Cubs are going to need three win players, three win per season players that are making less than a million dollars And if the Cubs give up a Miguel Amaya, even for a good player that has a couple of years left, that's making a perfectly reasonable salary, that's not going to help them catch up to the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Rays, and the Padres. It's not going to be enough. The Cubs, to get where they want to be, pretty much have to have young players producing well beyond what they're earning or else they'll be in trouble. AJ, B, I hope you listen to this. I hope you enjoy it. I'm not ripping on your idea. If the Cubs end up trading Cole Roederer for a J.D. Martinez, It'll be a gutsy trade. It'll be really nervy Um, if they trade Kyle Jensen for Whitmerryfield. It could be that the Royals get more out of Jensen than the Cubs would. It could be that. I'm a Jensen fan. I wish I knew how he was doing this year in games. I wish he was playing for South Bend or Myrtle Beach. And every four or five days I could, on my nightly podcast, recount how he'd done that day. But we don't have that this year. I don't think I would make either of those trades. But the, the Cubs need to find a way to have more players who are dirt cheap and productive. Like Adbert Alzalay. Hopefully Brennan Davis becomes one of those guys. I don't know if Cole Roeder is going to be that good. I don't know if Miguel Amaya is going to be that good. But after having a weekend against the White Sox, very recently, it's rather easy to see the absolute horror, horror, of giving up a player who's going to be a three wins above type for years to come. At a low rate of pay. That's how teams win in the 2020s. And that's not changing. It's not going to be, yay, we got old guy and gave up somebody that I've never seen play in a major league game, so it was a good trade. Hey, it might end up being a good trade, but even the Nick Castellanos trade last year, it didn't work out it completely didn't work out because the rest of the team broke. Could you have been able to tell that the rest of the team was going to be able to break? Well, there wasn't a whole lot of depth. There weren't a whole lot of kids saying, give me time, give me time. If you don't have young players ready to take over for the players who are getting toward older, there's a problem. There's a huge problem. And... I'd rather be status quo and retain all the possible future players than surrender the future for a jab at a year or two. Young, inexpensive, cost control talent is pretty much essential to have a successful Major League Baseball organization. Even if a player doesn't pan out entirely. My lean is toward gambling on the player who could possibly be good and cheap at the same time. Each trade would have to be assessed on its own. And trades that the Cubs make this cycle will probably try to limit what they're giving up even if that means that limits significantly what they're going to get. And I'd be good with that. I'm very much team status quo. The 2020 season is going to be considered with an asterisk. Whoever wins the title, unless it's San Diego or Tampa Bay, the celebration will be muted And I don't think the Cubs have the horses, regardless their record, and it's not because Javi's not hitting and KB's not hitting. No, baseball is cyclical. I just don't think the Cubs have enough oomph in the offense to win four series, especially when it gets to the postseason. And down the stretch, if the Cubs end up having anybody Anybody of the major pieces. Caratini. I'm even including Caratini. If Caratini gets hurt, or if Contreras gets hurt, or if Baez gets hurt, and they're going to miss three weeks of action, or two weeks of action, that's going to crush the the opportunity to advance in the playoffs. Because right now, the Cubs don't have enough depth to stick in a guy to, okay, Rizzo's going to miss a little bit of time. We're going to plug in this guy and we're going to be fine. No, that wouldn't work. The Cubs don't have a guy they can stick in at first base, and regardless what trade they would make at the deadline, I doubt that's going to happen. Enjoy the season. Enjoy the season. Enjoy that there are games. I'm enjoying listening to Pat Hughes. He had a really funny story last night about Phil Rizzuto. He had a really funny reminder about Tippi Martinez. Baseball is about stories. Baseball is about people. Baseball is about memories. And 2020, we have that opportunity. I don't think the Cubs are going to be a world champion. I think they're an ordinary team that's probably a bit above average. But I don't see them being good enough to take on and beat the Dodgers or some similar team. But I'll use the Dodgers if the Cubs end up having to face Clayton Kershaw, Dustin May, and Walker Bueller in three of five or three of, you know, as, as the top three in their rotate. The Cubs are not likely to win that series, they just aren't. And if they do, hey, great, wonderful. But the likelihood, at least it looks like there's going to be a playoffs. I didn't even think that was going to happen for a while. But as the deadline approaches Monday, think small. Think small, think the future. And I really doubt they'll make a major move. If they make a major move, I will look at it. That's my five-minute rule. I'll talk about that as soon as as soon as soon I'm required to. As soon as there's a trade, I will go into a five-minute rule discussion on who's coming in and who's going out and what I think about them and whether I think the trade makes sense long-term and short-term. But I think it'll be the Cubs will buy somebody. The Cubs will buy a reliever from a team that would rather get Four hundred thirty two thousand dollars than nothing I think that's how it'll be they'll They'll trade an amount of money to get a reliever they'll trade an amount of money to get a bat, and they'll see how it goes. but I don't think the Cubs should be mistaken for a serious World Series contender if there's sixteen teams what's uh Oh, That'd be, what, about 6% per team on average? I think the Cubs would probably be about, what, 8 9% chance of winning the World Series. That's not very likely. That's not very likely. And I think that's about where they'd fall in, probably in the 6 to 9% range somewhere in there. So that means if the Cubs do make the playoffs and they're a 9% chance of winning, that means they're a 91% chance of not winning. I'd love to see playoff games and get to bust out the Cubs historical who's done what in the postseason and be able to tell you who's the doubles leader and who's the home runs leader. I got that. I have that somewhere. I could round it up again rather easily. but no, I doubt the I doubt the trade deadline is anything major, and if the trade deadline isn't anything major, I don't think you have to really worry about it. Because this is not a year when you push in a bunch of your chips. It just isn't. I don't think the Cubs are going to make any moves. And if you're completely good on getting a Whit Merrifield or a J.D. Martinez type, I strongly recommend you start paying a bit more attention to the draft and trying to figure out who the Cubs can locate in the draft that represents a J.D. Martinez or a Whitmerry field. Because if you get a player in the draft, then you get them basically for a decade. And most of that decade, they will be very inexpensive. Owners don't like to spend money unnecessarily, or else the South Bend player pool would have 50 players. Not twenty-five. Thanks for stopping by prearb excellence. I'll try to have another post podcast posted as circumstances warrant. I'll attempt to make that one worth your time as well. Be safe. Go Cubs go. And be nice to people.